Well, if you guys got a Bible, go to Colossians chapter one. That's where we'll be tonight. Colossians chapter one. I'm, I'm gonna couple, I'm gonna run around in a couple different places. You think these tiny things will have it. They if that's if those if those are New Testament, yeah. Yep, so those those small Bibles will definitely have it. So Colossians 3, if you don't have a Bible, Kevin's got one. He'll grab one for you. You guys good? Everybody got one? Fantastic. All right, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at. Uh, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, chapter 1. Um, have you guys ever, okay, so have you, how many of you guys have ever thought about, like, when you walk outside, you see the things that are happening in the world. You see, uh, when I say the, see the things that are happening in the world, you see the physical things that are happening in the world. When you see the sunrise, the trees changing at the fall. Um, how many of you guys have ever been to Colorado? Anybody? A couple of you? So we're, we're actually leaving tomorrow for Colorado. And I just, I mean, um, the first time I ever went there. I was then I was old enough to just cognitively remember seeing it. I literally just my jaw dropped. I had this emotional, just overwhelming sense of just smallness, littleness. I just wasn't very. I just felt tiny in comparison to the Rocky Mountains, and I just um, I, I openly cried and. We go every year and we ride four-wheelers. That's what we're going to go do this year is we're going to ride. We're trailering up some four-wheelers and we're going to ride four-wheelers on, on a trail. Uh, it's, going to, it's called the Alpine Loop. It's going to take us like 10 days to do it. It's going to be a fantastic trip. I can't wait to do it. We do, we, I haven't done it in three years. I used to do it with my mom and dad. Uh, I haven't done it in three years. I'm going to go back with my brother and some family members. And we're going to be a part of just, just driving around in the beauty of the Rocky Mountains. And just to see... The beauty, every ounce of that beauty declares the majesty of who Jesus Christ is. The creation, the creation is making a declaration that God is to be praised. Like that's the whole, the whole purpose of the, the, the enormity of our world and our universe is to declare the, the, the majesty and, and the glory of who God is is and that he's mighty and that he is to be worshiped that's the whole reason that 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 we have creation is just a a visible tangible way for us to know that god is there romans chapter one tells us that that god um through creation and conscience is is available i'm sorry is visible for all mankind to see so that no one can be without excuse so we can't ever get when we get to heaven on the on judgment day we can't stand in front of god and go well i didn't know well god will be like did you ever walk outside? Well, yeah, you knew I was there because you have to, when you see creation, you know that there has to be a creator. And so um, it, it starts in Genesis chapter one, verse three, when, when God says, let there be light. And there was light. When God spoke that out of his mouth, light traveled out of his mouth at 186,282 miles per second. And, and, and he said, let there be, and there was. God has a creative ability that he can speak things into existence. I mean, just chair, cow, horse, pig, table. I mean, he could just speak things into existence and they, they manifest. Like that's how powerful God is. And, and just that he said these things, that he just said, I'm going to create these things and I'm going to make these things is just mind-blowing. Um, he, 
everything around us, like when you walk outside, everything that you see, everything you touch, everything that you drive is as a result of God allowing that to be created. So, well, what about the human being that made the car and manufactured the chair? Well, God gave that human being this, the ability to have the mental capacity to create and, and make these things. Everything terminates back on the creator. It's not the creation, but the creator is to be worshiped. And so the, the word of God creates. Like that's the idea here is God's word has the ability to create. And, and so everything was created by God because everything around us, or I'm sorry, everything was created by God because God wanted to create it. There is no other reason other than God said, I, I just want to create this. I don't know why he wanted to create a llama, but he did. He's like, I want to create a llama. Like that's, that's fabulous that he, I, I, it's an interesting animal. I have no idea why, but he did. Um, and, and, and so, and notice in the text, what, what, what it tells us is that everything is held together by God. So I want us to look at Colossians chapter one. I'm going to read verse 15. Um, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, this is talking about Jesus. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. That is everything he, and that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself, uh, I'm sorry, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, I'm going to stop there and we'll keep going just a little bit, but I, I want us just to see the, the magnitude of this text. Jesus, everything is held together. Everything's declaring his glory. Jesus is the one that all this is about. Every ounce of what is happening in the world is completely and utterly about Christ and Christ alone. He is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus was the invisible. Now, this is, and this, what this text tells us is that Jesus is God. He's not just part of the Trinity. He's not just God's son. He is the triune sovereign king of the universe. And so, and as a result of that, he's preeminent. He's, and preeminent means top shelf. That means he surpasses all other things. And I want you to see this in verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the head of the church. You're, like Zach, listen, Zach's not the head of the church. Your pastor, he's called an under-shepherd. But the shepherd is Christ. And he would not, and I can tell you right now, Zach would not have a problem with me saying that. I know my brother in Christ that he would say, absolutely, I am not. It is Christ that is the preeminent head of the church. It is not me. It is not Zach. It is not any other pastor or elder that you guys have. It is Christ that is the head of the church. Now, Zach is what you call an under shepherd. Like I said, 
But if he and I are not following Christ, listen, you're, you're having your time wasted. If your pastor doesn't follow Jesus, it's a waste of time and, and you shouldn't be a pastor. Um, <clears throat> we are to submit and follow his directives, his mandates, and, and where are those mandates found? Where, where are his, his commands found? Anybody? The Bible. The, the scriptures are where we find all of the things from God. So, so many churches have many kingdoms and many domains. And if someone walks into those many domains or, you know, I love this in Baptist churches. Well, that's my pew. How do you, what? It's my pew? What are you talking about? Like, I'll never forget when I was growing up, my dad was a pastor. And we'd been at our, we'd been at Trinity for just a few months and dad walked into the kitchen and pulled a spoon out of a drawer. And this lady comes in and smacks my dad's hand. Like, you know my dad. He smacked, or this woman smacked my dad's hand and said, you can't touch those spoons. This is my kitchen. And I was like, what in the world? Like, so these people have all these little mini domains inside of a church building. And it, it's just funny how, how you know, oh, that's my pew or that's my place to sit or that's my area. That's my thing. Um, I purposely, she had a, this lady had a room that was called her, she, it was my flower room is what she called it. Helen's flower room. I went up and found a, the chalkboards in there and I wrote all kinds of stuff on the chalkboard as a 14 year old kid. You know, eh. I was a little... Maybe not the most grace-filled thing to do, but I was 14. I'm, I was a little honorary at 14, okay? Fair enough. But, like, we're to submit. We're to submit and follow his directives. So many churches have these many kingdoms, many domains, and if someone walks into those domains or, or sits in their pew, people lose their minds because they have a false sense of entitlement or authority that was never given to them by God. God didn't give people, well, that's my authority. I've got the right to sit in that pew. Listen, sister, listen, brother. There's a whole room full of pews. Just because you are comfortable in one space doesn't mean that's your pew. If a visitor comes in, man, by the grace of God, you allow that person to sit and just, man, be willing to live open-handed and give stuff away. Um, but this false sense of entitlement, it causes all kinds of problems. This, this should not be the, listen, this idea of, of it's my area, this is my stuff, like that should not be in a believer's life. Like we cannot live with that sense of entitlement. It will destroy the church. It'll destroy your spiritual walk. It'll, it'll mess you up because Christ is the head of all things. Like we're to follow him. We're to submit to him. And as we submit to him, like we're willing to give grace to other people because Christ has given us grace. What's up, bro? That's right. It's all, all of it belongs to Christ. All of it is, is, is owned by Jesus. And he is handing this out in terms of leasing this out for us to, to be able to, we're supposed to be stewards or tenants of what God gives us. And so we follow him and, and, we're, to, and here, we're, we're to execute his will, not ours. We're to, we're to do what he wants us to do, not what we want to do. Why? Because he's God. And we're not. And verse 19 tells us just sort of kind of why that is. For in him is the fullness, what is the fullness of God, it was pleased to dwell. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
And so this is a, this is a very full idea that this is God. This is, this is God. And so what's his mission? Verse 20 tells us what his mission is. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the idea of Christ came for what reason? To seek it to save that which was lost and make peace with sinful humanity by shedding his blood to buy us back. Every one of us in the room deserve God's wrath because we've sinned. Christ loves us enough to come back, die on the cross, shed his own blood and buy us back. Scripture says there in Hebrews chapter 9, there is no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so Christ sheds his blood on the cross as a perfect sacrifice to buy us back, to get us back to where we're supposed to be. And, and, and that, that verse 20 tells us, and so the Greek word for reconciling is, I'm going to probably butcher this, but it's symphonisi. S-Y-M-F-I-L-I-O-S-I, which means to change or exchange. So the New Testament uses, or the New Testament's usage of this word refers to a sinner's relationship to God. God changes us from the inside out, and we receive the divine exchange. It's called the divine exchange. So God, we get all of God's mercy, all of God's um, love all of God's forgiveness and what Christ took on the cross was your sinfulness, your, um, your mess. And Christ turned your mess into a miracle. So we get a new nature and Jesus takes our punishment. That's basically the idea. We get the new nature. We get, the, we get forgiven. We get set apart by God. And Jesus took your Punishment, And so the God of the universe traded, like, think about this. The God of the universe traded places with you. Like, that's mind-boggling that the God of the universe, not a God, but the God of the universe steps into your world and says, listen, I'll take your place. I'll die on the cross for you. You don't have to. I'll do it. I'll take your place. And now what you get is my perfection my imputed or deposited righteousness. So God deposits his righteousness into your bank account, your spiritual bank account that is in the negative. Your spiritual bank account is in the negative. And so God pours his righteousness into your account and you get perfection. So when God sees you, according to Ephesians chapter one, God sees blameless and holy because of what Jesus did on your behalf. And so it's, it's absolutely stunning to see what, what God will do. And so the God of the universe trades places with you. And, and that like, seriously, that should humble us. That should blow our minds that the God of the universe loves us enough to forgive us and to set us apart. Okay. So why is that important? We'll look at verse 21, 22, and 23. And you, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, 
stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. So because of the divine exchange, because of what Christ did on our behalf, what we receive is absolutely what we don't deserve. We were alienated and hostile and, and, and we were doing evil. Like we were actively pursuing and doing evil things. And God comes in and what? Verse 22, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So Christ dying on the cross, Christ doing what he did on the cross and, and, and shedding his blood, he sets it up in such a way that you are now presented, according to the scriptures, as blameless and holy. You're blameless and holy. Because of this divine exchange, because of what Christ has done on our behalf, this is what we receive. We receive a new nature. We are positionally holy and blameless in the sight of God because of his work on the cross. So our, like, let me explain that. So when I say positionally, that means your position in Christ is already set. So you see, like, in the corridors of heaven, your name, if you've repented and believed the gospel, trusted the gospel, your name is written in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name is securely placed there. And you are, you're in. Like, you are positionally and There's no, nothing can erase your name. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can change that. You are permanently in, in whatever is more strong than Sharpie ink. I don't even know. Your name is there in the Lamb's Book of Life, protected by the Holy Spirit, secured by the Holy Spirit. God calls our guarantor of our inheritance until we get to take possession of it. Like you're, There's going to be an inheritance handed to you. What do you think of when you think of the word inheritance? Money? Land. Land. A vehicle? A vehicle? Okay. So you, you're, possess, you're possessing something, right? You think of you're getting something. An inheritance, according to the scriptures, of what you're going to get is eternal life, heaven, access to, to God, all those things for all eternity. Like, imagine for, for me for just a minute, 20 billion years. You guys have only been alive, what, 14 years, 15 years, 16 years? 17 years? 12, okay. So that's as long as you've all ever known. Think about 20 billion years from now. You're still alive, thriving, and living in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's got you. He's taking care of you. Think about 20 billion more years after that. You're still there. Now, on the, on the flip side of that, if you have eternal life, there's also eternal death, eternal wrath. Because here's the thing, you and I are either objects of God's mercy or we're going to be objects of God's wrath and justice. Either you're going to experience for all eternity God's grace and mercy or you will experience for all of eternity his wrath and justice. And it'll never stop on either side. And so this is the idea. You were once alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. That's all of us. We were all wicked. We were all depraved. We were all a mess. We were all, we'd all fallen short. Every single one of us have fallen short. But what's the beautiful news in this is that Christ has come and he's, because of his work on the cross and his shedding of his blood on the cross, we've now re been reconciled 
in his body of flesh in order to present us, Jesus presents us as holy and blameless and above reproach before himself. It, now, here's the, now, here's the kicker. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. This is, if you're, if you, well, I trust the gospel once, but I'm not going to trust it forever. Then you've never really trusted it. Like, this is the idea here is, listen, if you've not really genuinely trusted the gospel, you're not saved. These people that are deconstructing, like, it just drives me nuts. These quote-unquote Christian artists and Christian singers that are now deconstructing in their Christian faith because they're like, well, I just don't know if I trust that. No, you've got sin in your life that you refuse to repent of, and you're not trusting what? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation. So here's the, here is crea- here's the gospel. Are you walking in this? Is your faith stable and steadfast on the word of God? Then guess what? You're set for all eternity. If your hope isn't anything else other than the word of God, then you're wasting your time. Like absolutely, you're wasting your time. And because of the divine exchange, we receive all of God's goodness, all of God's just absolute beauty and majesty. And we are holy and blameless in his sight because of his work on the cross. Ephesians chapter one, like I said, echoes this verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed in who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So positionally, we're holy and blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ. And the text continues in Colossians chapter one, if indeed you continue, like, so we just need to remember this. Remember, like if, just a couple, like a couple of verses up in Colossians chapter three, it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How many of us this week, how do we, did we walk in a manner worthy that pleased Christ? Like, that's the question. Did you walk in a manner that was worthy of pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, verse that that idea is verse 10 of Colossians 1 1 10 so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God like it should not be rare that you and I are increasing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ we should be growing in our faith not just well you're a preacher Caleb so you should be growing in your faith no if you're a believer you should be increasing in your faith. You should be growing in your knowledge of God. It should not be an anomaly that any of you in this room want to increase in your faith. You should all want to pour over and study the word and learn more about who Jesus is. And then as a result of that, go please him. That's what we should do. Amen? Like that, that's what we should do. So how, how many of us, like, just ask yourself that question. You don't have to answer be like me or not me. Just like think about this. How many of us this week did not walk in a manner worthy to please Christ? I'm sure we all did. I'm sure we all did. But here's the crux of the entire message. Did that bother you? Does that bother you that you're not pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ the way you should? That's a good sign. 
If it doesn't really, you know, eh, I care less. That's a problem. That's a problem. Does your sin concern you or bother you? It's one thing to sin. It's an entirely different thing to sin and not be bothered by your sin. It's one thing to, to sin and be like, God, I mean, I hate that I did that. I hate that I think that way. I, I hate that I talk that way. I hate that I did that. Oh, I hate it. Like that, you should hate your sin and then pursue to repent and shun it, run away from it. It's, and it's an entirely different ballgame if you're just sort of kind of like, eh, it's just a little white lie. It's just a, just a couple of videos I watched online. Just a couple of things I said to her or him. That it's an entirely different thing. I've heard people say, well, that's just who I am. I was just like, right, no, listen, like this month. This month's nuts. Well, I was just born that way. Okay, I'll give you that. You were born wicked. The scripture says you got to be born again. The, they talk, remember Nicodemus? He's like, what do I need to do? You must be born again. You, you know, you're not just a, well, I'm a Christian. Well, that, that's, that's a loose term. Have you been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you born again? Well, no, I don't know. Well, I can tell you this much. If you haven't been born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Period. And, and so the, the crux of the message is, does your sin bother you? Does your sin bother you? Uh, let's look at, if you've got to flip over in your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. Um, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize. That prize will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. Shadow boxing is like a just punch in the air. I don't, in fact, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that I will be, after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. So if you don't hate your sin, you're not running in such a way to receive the eternal prize. If you can just live your life and not be bothered by your sin, I can promise you there's a problem with your spiritual birth. You need to be, you might, as, as Corinthians says, reevaluate or, or examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. If you don't hate your sin, you're not running in such a way to, to gain the eternal prize. Um, If you're content with the trinkets and this present world, the stuff of this world, um, when you and I snuggle up with our sin and make peace with it, we continue to be hostile in mind towards God. If we're comfortable with the stuff of this world, if we're comfortable with the flesh and, and all the things that are in this world, Scripture, that's back to Colossians, says what? You're hostile in mind and you're alienated and you do evil deeds and so that's that idea in the text is if you don't hate your sin it's problematic it is a problematic issue Let's look again at the text 21 and you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds 
And he, Christ, now has reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before himself. We need to live like we've been reconciled. We need to live like we're reconciled. Here's the divine exchange in your life. Like, has your heart been changed? Does your heart, is your heart and your affections stirred up for the things of Christ? And listen, I'm not talking about that week of False Creek. That's a great time. That's a wonderful. I love False Creek. Nothing wrong with that. But man, that's, that's, in a, that's a controlled environment. Everybody does that whole thing on Thursday where you rededicate your life on Thursday. And like, oh, I'm going to rededicate my... Uh. But then like Tuesday, by, ne- by next Tuesday, you're still doing the same junk. That's problematic. That's problematic. We need to live like we've been reconciled. We have to... Have, we need to live like we've got a new heart. Because if we, if we have a new heart, we're supposed to be a new creation. If you refuse to be obedient to God, that's as far as you're going to go in your walk with Christ. If the Holy Spirit says, listen, hey, you need to go share Christ with your friend. Nope. Nope. It's as far as I'm going. I'm not doing it, Lord. No, no I'm not. I can promise you this much. That's where you'll stop growing. And people start, I hear people all, people all the time saying, the Bible's so dry. My prayer life stinks. Nothing, it just doesn't feel right. Well, it's probably because you love your sin more than you love Jesus. And you, at some point, somewhere back there in your life, you stop being obedient. And God said, okay, that's where you're going to stop. So go back and find where you've been disobedient. Ask God to forgive you. And then go do what God's called you to do. Go do what God's called you to to do. And so God, when God puts his finger on our lives and our hearts in a certain area, and if we ignore those places where God presses in on us, confusion will present itself. You, you'll see um, that there's things where, where people say things like, uh, well, God would never want me to do that. God would never tell me to do that. Well, yeah, God tells people to do uncomfortable things all the time. Because that's the idea is you're supposed to get out of your comfort zone. You're supposed to get out of the, the normal and you're supposed to go into the extraordinary. You're supposed to go into different, different, a different mindset. You see, these are the things that people will say and do that, that like, oh, God will never want me to go this direction or do this. God would never demand that I do whatever. Exactly. God will demand things from you all the time. And people say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. Yeah, he will. He'll give you more than you can handle all the time so that you rely on him. He gives us more than we can handle all the time so that we go to the Father because he can handle all things. And when God puts on your heart to share Christ or God says, hey, go do this or go do that, and we don't, that, that becomes a problem. That becomes a problem. And the problem with all this kind of thinking is that God's word shows us that he often will indeed press in on our lives to draw the sin out of us and expose it in the light where we can repent and get rid of it. God says, follow me in obedience. Uh, so, you know, I, I've heard people, there was a couple that came to my dad's church one time, they 
Um, so they got saved, and they're just like, okay. And he's like, have you been baptized? No, we're not getting baptized. Now, baptism doesn't save you, but it is a command from the Lord that we be baptized. These people had a heart issue of, I ain't doing it. I'm not going to do it. There was a, that's, where they, that's where they stopped and grew up. But they were like, we want to be a member here. I'm like, well, you got to be baptized. No, we're not doing it. You're not going to be a member here. You, you can sure attend, but you're not a member. All you got to do is submit your heart and your life. This is all, that's an obvious sign. It's an outward barometer test that your heart is actually not submitted to the king of kings. If you'll submit your heart and your life to, to believer's baptism, okay, cool. That's the first step of, of obedience. That's the first step. God says, follow me and be obedient. The scripture says he resists the proud. Like this is the month where like it's pride month. Listen, the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He resists the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. And so what, what should we do as believers? What should we do as Christ followers? Man, live in a state of humbleness. Humble voices carry so much further than prideful voices. Prideful voices will get shut down by the God of the universe. If you're prideful and you're arrogant and you're disobedient, there's one thing you can be sure of. You will be blocked by the God of the universe. How do I know that? Because the text says he will block you. Like, that's mind-blowing. So what do we do? That's, you've heard all the bad news. What's the good news? Walk in a manner, back to verse 10 of Colossians 1. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing what you're doing to please people? Like, listen, here, I, just, I was thinking about this last night. Um, we live in a culture where social media can give us this false sense of friendships, um, false sense of notoriety. Like, oh, I've got, I've got over 1,500 followers on Facebook. Listen, the majority of people that are online right now don't follow you because they like you. They follow you because they're, they're watching. How can I tell? Okay, so I make a post. How many of you guys have read this? I, mean, I'm, I make an Instagram post and I get 20 likes, but I get 200. On my stories, I get 200 views. Moral of the story. People aren't, don't really like you. They're just watching. They're just checking out what you're doing. They're interested. Are you doing what you're doing to please people? Because here's the deal. The moment you become a, peop- a people pleaser, the moment you become a people pleaser is the moment you become disobedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Am I now pleasing man or do I strive to please Christ? If I strive to please man, I'm no longer obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like that's, that's not my words. That's God's word. So what are we supposed to do? Walk in a manner of, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, pleasing Jesus. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing to please the people? If you're, if you're not doing these things to please the Lord Jesus Christ, you're doing it for the wrong, for the wrong reason. You're not doing it. You're not doing these things so that you can gain notoriety, gain, oh, if I could just get just 10,000 more followers, if I could just get a couple more hearts or a like or a something, the man, I'd get that dopamine hit and I'd feel better. That's, that's a false sense of notoriety and, and fame. It's silly. 
Like it, it genuinely is silly. We need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to walk and talk in a manner that pleases Jesus. If we're not, then here's the deal. Listen, if you're not doing these things, if you're not walking in a manner that's actually pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is where 1 John 1, 9 comes into play. If you confess your sins, Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. So if, if you're not walking in a manner worthy of following the Lord Jesus Christ, you need, I need to repent. We need to walk in a steadfast manner, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Remember what the gospel is? The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for sinful humanity that would believe. That's the gospel. So we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we keep our focus centered in on who Jesus is, and we need to walk in a steadfast manner, not shifting from the hope of that gospel. We need to keep Christ as the center of all we do. Like I said at the beginning of this, it's all about him. Christ is the preeminent one. He is top shelf. He is number one. He is not, listen, he is the God of the universe and he will not take a back seat to anyone. He will not take a back seat to me, to you, to Zach, to anybody, to Kevin. Even though Kevin's got, Kevin carries a gun, but guess what? God isn't taking a back seat to Kevin because he is the ultimate. And Kevin understands authority. Like he is the authority. When he's driving the cop car, what happens? You see his car, I immediately step on the brake. Even if I'm in the, even if I'm not speeding, I immediately, I'm like, oh, crud. Am I? Okay, I'm not. Because why? There's a potential of a consequence because Kevin's got the authority. That same idea is God is the ultimate authority. And there's going to come a day when you, listen, you and I are going to stand before the God of the universe one day. And you don't get to pull up. You want, hey, Kevin! Brother Kevin, can you come over here and stand with me? You, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ alone. So will I. So will your mom, your dad, your uncle, your grandma, your brother, your sister, whoever it is. You will stand alone before the throne judgment seat of God. And like I said at the beginning of this, you're either going to be an object of God's mercy and you're going to be an ob- or you're going to be an object of God's justice for all eternity. And here's the beautiful thing. We live right now in the moment of mercy where we can receive mercy and we can repent of our sins and we can ask God to forgive us. You say, well, Caleb, I'm not going to do that. Well, here's what I can promise you because of the word of God. If you refuse to repent, the scripture says that you are storing up for yourself the wrath of God. That means that God, that means that God takes, if you live 80 years, and you refuse to repent of your sins and ask God to forgive you, God stores up for that 80 years where he's going to unpack and pour out all of his wrath on you for refusing to to accept him, for refusing to repent. He's going to pour out all of his judgment on you. Like there's no... No dam that can hold it back. No, no bank of a river that can, oh, if I can maybe hide over here in the corner. Nope. You cannot hide from God. I can't either. So my heart's plea for us tonight is this, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would seek to please him. And what pleases him? I'm glad you asked. You didn't think 
guys are asking really great questions. Psalms 51 tells us what pleases the Lord. Listen to this. I just got this new Bible. It's hard to... Pages stick together, man. It's good stuff, though. It's a great, great little Bible, preaching Bible. Josh, if you listen to this, thanks for letting me have it. Uh, okay. Verse 16. For you, this is Psalms 51, verse 16. For you will not delight in a sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. A broken heart, a contrite, like humble, back to the idea of humble, a humble heart, a broken spirit saying, God, I'm broken over my sin. I'm so sorry, God, that I've sinned. Please forgive me. Guess what? God forgives you. God cleanses you. God sets you apart and you're his. He makes you his. Like this is the beauty of the gospel. And so all of this is about him. We need to keep him as the focal point and we need to walk in a manner that's steadfast and don't shift from the hope. You're looking for hope? The gospel is our hope. The gospel is what sets us free. The gospel is what takes a prisoner and sets him free, breaks the chains of sin and depravity and gives us a beautiful place to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Free. Not, Not covered by sin, but covered by grace. That's the beauty of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the evening. Thank you for the time that I got to spend together with these students. Pray that uh, the words that were shared tonight, God, with um, your word that promises us that you don't, your word doesn't return void. God, I ask that you would do a work and you would cleanse us and you would um, convict us where we need to repent, Father, and help us to repent and do what's right. We love you. Pray all this in your beautiful name. Amen.